بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وأصحابه أجمعين اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأنت تجل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا اللهم أعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Okay, so inshallah in this week's lesson we're going to be covering the final paragraph which is on the notes if you can bring it up Chaz um, so the Arabic um, if you take it up Chaz the Arabic that's it that's it there so the Arabic is the third paragraph uh, the, yeah the third paragraph وَمَنْ إِنْكَشَفَ بَعْضَ عَوْرَتِهِ وَفَحُشْ أو صلى في ثوب محرم محرم عليه أو نجس أعاد لا من حبس في محل نجس Okay, that's the Arabic uh, of the metan of Zad al-Mustaqni' The translation then is If some of one's awra becomes significantly uncovered or prays in an unlawful garment or it is impure they must repeat the prayer. One does not repeat though if confined in an impure place. That final line is going to be something we might discuss in one or two weeks, but um, the real focus today is going to be on this initial beginning sentence. If some of one's aura becomes significantly uncovered, and then maybe we will be, we'll move into then, or praise in an unlawful garment. We will not be able to do the najas today. We covered Najasa a while back. Uh, but anyway, that's going to be something that we're going to cover as well today. Okay, folks. So, the real issue today then is looking at the issue of the uncovering of the aura. Now, that sounds, you know, quite a technical kind of, you know, distant reality of worship. But it is one of the things that especially men see every single day. Or it happens to them every single day. Especially uh, when they are in ruku'ah or in sujood. It's horrible, it's disgusting, okay? It is something that, you know, the eyes, once it's seen, cannot unsee. And it's a crack catastrophe, as I call it, okay? It is really something horrible. Um, and what's exactly the score behind it? What's the fiqh behind it, okay? So let's now look at what Sheikh Al-Uthameen, alayhi rahmatullah, he says on page 170 of Asharh Al-Mumti'ah, okay? So he says, وَمَنْ كَشَفَ بَعْدَ وَرَاتِهِ وَفَحْوَشْ مَنْ This is a conditional sentence that whoever this occurs to, then they have to repeat the prayer. So whoever... In his aura uncovers. However, I just want you to know that immediately as Sheikh Uthameen also uh, points out that this Arabic verb in kashafa is different from kashafa. Yani whoever it happens to and whoever uncovers their aura. Two different things. So in kashafa by definition means it occurs. Alright? Whereas kashafa means someone literally doing it. So it's a whole different thing, and you're lifting your shirt yourself. And a whole different thing that one leans over, for example, and it becomes uncovered. So that's the first thing you need to notice from the Arabic uh, language, okay? And also, the Hanbalis here, they've mentioned their statement here clearly. Ba'da awratihi. Yani some of the awra, meaning it doesn't have to be all of it. So the Hanbali position here 
in line with pretty much all of the madahib, is a very strict and clear line. That whoever, وَمِنْ كَشَفَ بَعْدَ عُرَتِهِ That whoever's some of their aura becomes uncovered, but it is X, then they have to repeat the prayer. X is a very important part we're going to discuss, to, discuss today. The Arabic part is fahush. I have translated it in the English as significant. Okay? That's my translation for the word significant. Now you guys know from the Quran and Sunnah that the word fahish, okay, is a very well, like, you know, it's an advertised word publicly known by many people. And it's something which I think that um, we should talk about. As you hear nearly every Friday from the Khatib, okay? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala ya'murukum bil adil wal ihsan wa ita'id al qurba. Yes? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands the people to adil, to be just, and ihsan, to go further and be better, okay? Meaning that you should forgive and be righteous, okay? Uh, and uh, to be good to the people uh, who are uh, close to you, your family. Okay? So three things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this surah, he uh, prohibits from. Al-Fahshah, Al-Munkar, and Al-Baghi. Okay? So, Baghi is transgression, going backwards. Fahshah is something shocking and uh, evil, or evil, sorry, evil, uh, going backwards is evil, uh, or bad. And Fahshah is another level of something bad. Okay? So, how are we meant to now, you know, make a a, defini- a differentiation between them? Munkar is every evil that you can imagine. Nakir, yani, is something that is strange and ex- unacceptable. And um, uh, when we, uh, it's interesting looking at it from a linguistic point of view. Munkar, okay, Munkar is something, we have so many different definitions for it depending according to the field that we're talking about. In hadith, when we say Munkar, it means it's something which is rejected, okay? When we say in general Islam, Munkar, it means evil, something bad. When we say Inkar, then it's and you make inkar against it. Yep. Then it means to speak up against it. You make inkar of this. You reject it. Okay. So there is a rejection, and I, a, a nakira. When something is a nakira, it's indefinite, right? In linguistics, when we talk about it from a grammatical point of view, right? Also, when it is when this person is uh, munkar uh, linguistically, even though it's very rarely used, it also means persons unknown. Okay. So you can see. That munkar is almost, if you were to combine all of these phrases together, indefinite, strange, unknown, rejected, bad, whatever, whatnot. It's unacceptable to people. So it's behavior which is unacceptable. Okay? And uh, not, yani, it's the opposite of ma'roof. Okay? So ma'roof, which we know as good, is also that which is well known from Arafah. Okay, and that's where Urf comes from, which is the custom of the people, which is what the people do and have accepted as a social norm. Okay, so Ma'roof is something which is good, righteous, excellent behavior that people all know. And Munkar is its dictionary opposite, that which is evil and unknown and unacceptable and rejected. Right, okay. If that's the case, if that's the case, now we have a phrase which is Fahsha, which has to be different. And fahsha is different in that it means linguistically something which is huge, big, like massive, right? 
That's his linguistic kind of understanding. However, when it's used in the Quran, in different places, it means something which is a huge sin, or it means something which is publicly so obscene. And that's why it's often associated, as according to the Mufassirin, with sexuality. So, sexual impropriety, yani, uh, zina. Yani, we're talking horrible, completely shocking and unacceptable crime. Okay? So, that's his Quranic use. But now we want to take it back to its linguistic use. When something fahush, when something becomes fahish, it means it's become very obvious. Alright? The word shock is the best description for it. Right? You will look in dictionaries and lexicons and you'll see different phrases that they'll use. Monstrosity, obscenity, outrageous. All of this works very well with the word fahish. Fahish is the ismul fa'il, okay? Or fahush. Now, I was thinking about this. You know, uh, Boris Johnson, okay? Obviously, the, the Brits will know Boris Johnson. I guess the, the better example to use is Donald Trump, right? Okay? But, you know when they talk about their hair, both of them? Right? It's, it's for Boris Johnson when they say he has a shock of blonde hair. The shock has now almost become like a noun. A noun? Is that right? An adjective. If it's describing the hair, then we say it's shocking, isn't it? Yeah? But not, we don't want to say it's shocking. Because shocking has this like, uh, I don't think shock is used, when you say something is shocking, it means like in a, um, in a very negative way, right? Uh, yeah? We say that's shocking. I want to say he has a shock of brown, uh, blonde hair. Do you, do, you, do you understand that as a sentence? Does that work in English grammar as a sentence? He has a shock of, bra- of blonde hair. But I, I, I don't know, I've just seen it used. And I think it works. He has a shock of blonde hair. And obviously, I don't know what color uh, Trump's hair is, but it's also a shock, right? And I, I don't even mean that in the offensive sense. I actually mean in the purely in the descriptive sense, okay? Because of his age, the amount that it is, the way that it's colored, whatever, whatnot. And the word shock, I think is very, very useful for our study because that's exactly what the fuqaha mean by shock, by fahish. So Donald Trump's hair, for example, and even Boris Johnson's hair, what's interesting is its color, its quality, its amount, its whatever. It doesn't fit the person. Does that make sense? Okay, it doesn't, fit, it doesn't look normal. Whatever normal is, and that's the really important part of today's lesson. Whatever normal is, it doesn't look normal. And it's debatable. Would you agree? People would say, well, no, it's quite normal. Okay. I mean, I don't know. When I look at when I look at Boris Johnson's hair, it doesn't look normal. It looks like you know it's the first thing you notice about him when you look at his face, his hair. Now, Donald Trump, maybe that's the same as well. If you look at his face, it might be the first thing that you notice is that his hair is either too much or too. It's that's just it's just it's too intense. If that makes sense, yeah. And that's where the word shock is used. This is the meaning of the fuqaha. When it comes to the aura, I translated it as significant. It's not actually significant, but because you can't give a tafsir of every single sentence and you've got to choose one word, it's the word I went with. And so when we're talking about the aura, it becoming uncovered, even the humblies who are strict in this issue have admitted that the unacceptable level of the aura, which is going to cause a problem in the prayer, 
is that which is shocking. Is that which is shocking. So now we have another question. Okay, how do we define shocking? Right? Okay. And this is an important part, which I don't, th- I think we did cover maybe in year one or two, I think with respect to Najasa, right? Blood. Blood. Yeah. Did we, in terms of whether it breaks the, 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 yeah, we covered this, yeah. That's why it was a logical progression, you see? We did it logically, even though I might forget that I did it, but that's okay. I forget most things. You just have to remind me. Yeah, so we did cover this. We covered it when it came to the, the invalidators of wudu as well. Does bleeding break the salah, right? Uh, or wudu, sorry. Does it break the wudu? And if you remember, basically, in summary, what we said is that blood, when one bleeds, bleeding is a natural kind of thing. It's nothing yani, major. But if it is something shayun fahish, if it's yani, fahish, if it's shocking, then yes. So shocking blood bleeding is unacceptable. And it would, it would be considered to be, according to a number of the scholars, majority in fact, it would break the wudu. And then we had that discussion, what is that? What is shocking? So we said we don't use someone who is, you know, some miskeen, squeamish, yani, you know, uh, I don't know, metrosexual. Yeah? Who would see blood go, ah, you know, at most things. And then blood probably more so than anything else. Mm-hmm. And likewise, we don't use an A&E surgeon. You know, the guy's, you know, guts out on the thing. He says, yep, this is okay, boys. We'll deal with this in a few minutes. He's, you know, for him it's nothing, is it? You know what I'm saying? So you've got to take a basic person who is a basic member of society that represents the normal customs. You get what I'm saying? Okay. So keep that in mind. That's what shocking is. It's not shocking according to... So likewise, we're talking about aura. So you're not going to be taking this definition to a nudist camp. Yeah. So you got, you know, nudists who for them the whole body is an expression of art and all this baguasiani, yeah? So you're not gonna be taking nakedness to them. Likewise, on the other side, you're not gonna be taking nakedness to I don't know. Who's on the other side? I don't even know who's on the other side. Patans? Yeah. That might work. Yani, our people are mad when it comes to that whole behavior on, on the outside, yani, in the external environment. My folks, yani, they are hardcore. Yeah? Yeah. You know, you got to wear dupatta at home. At home. What have you done, yani, that you got to wear hijab at home? What's all that about? You know what I'm saying? Yeah? Is it? In bed. Say, Gassim. Unbelievable. Wallah, unbelievable. Put your hijab on in bed, and, and 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 keep it on, and keep it on, and don't take it off. That's madness, isn't it? So okay, so we're not we're not we're you're not going to use that as our judgment of the of the parameter. Okay, so that's an important yani you know point. Okay, um, now <laughs> no no I think I just turned off the monitor. No no it's on it's on. Okay, so let's just now just go through what he says, okay? What the Sheikh says. وَقَوْلُهُ فَحُشْ Okay, a غَلُضْ وَعَظُمْ And it became extreme, and it became huge, it became massive, okay? And he said that the author did not restrict it to a size. He didn't compare what is that. He didn't say that it's the size of a dirham, or it's the size of a fingernail. And that's important because these are the common phrases that you'll find in the books of fiqh. 
Now you remember again that when we study fiqh, the fuqaha, they do go into these kind of, make these statements that they say this big, this small, this long, this size, whatever. And you know, the reason they're doing that is they're helping the basic people who need to know fiqh, right? People memorize these texts at the basic level. They don't understand too much the way it comes from, what the evidences are, and whatever, whatnot. And you know, you can imagine. And, and I'll be honest with you, even when I teach this in a Western audience, people are asking, well, how much, what, what is it? And people are just so comfortable you saying this much, right? They don't want to be there thinking that this is what, you know, that my shirt got uncovered or my arms became uncovered. Now, how much should it be? Don't tell me societal norms because that confuses me because I just don't want to be dealing with thinking about what society thinks. Just say to me, two inches, is that enough? And people like that. That's human nature, okay? And that goes across the board of everything. And, you know, we're going to be talking about this a lot when it comes to salah, when it comes to traveling, right? It's the big issue of the, travel, the, the prayer of the traveler. Do you, do you take a, uh, uh, what's the word? Like a holistic, real, living approach to traveling, okay? Where you make the decision on whether you pray qasr, whether you shorten the prayer, whether you, you know, pray like a traveler, based upon basic, rea- basic identifying factors which you then work out, which is, seems to be the sunnah, by the way. Or do you say, thank you so much, Jazakumullah khair, to all of the fuqaha, the imams of the madahib, who don't mess about and just say to you straight up that if you travel over 50 miles and you are staying there for more than four days, or you're staying there for more than 20 prayers, or you're staying there for more than 15 days, or according to all of the different opinions of the scholars, or you travel more than 79 kilometers, or you travel more than 80 kilometers, or you travel that between which is Jeddah and Mecca, or, you, or according to what they say, then you just, a traveler, don't worry about anything else. You get what I'm trying to say? That's a hugely attractive position. So much so I use it myself. Okay? It's so attractive, because you don't need to think about this scenario. You don't need to you know, worry about the difficulties and whatever, whatnot. I'll give you a scenario. I was in the pen uh, last week, okay? And I was staying at a house, which is my own house. It's my father's home, my own home, okay? And I was staying there for, you know, uh, three days. Now, three days, okay, I know I'm changing subject a bit, but just to show you, the importance of this discussion that we're having about yani, traveling as a holistic part of life and understanding it from the sunnah. Okay? And when you understand it from the sunnah and the hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu it is very difficult to set any distance. Sometimes he prays yani, very close to home. Sometimes, uh, yani, uh, qasr, I mean, and it doesn't make any sense. And then another time, he وسلم, is praying full and it doesn't make sense. And it's like a living, you know, it's, it's hard, it's really, really hard, okay? Which is why there are so many different opinions when it comes to traveling, all right? And that's why you've got people who say that if you, if you go out of your town, you can, you can pray qasr. And others say, no, you've got to do 48 miles. And others say that you can start praying yani when you're at home, if you're traveling, because I don't want to be praying on the road. And others say, no, you've got to only start the, pra- the traveling prayer once you're outside the city limits. Because you are still considered a muqim, a resident, when you're in your home area. And all of these differences are genuine and authentic and correct. Yani all of these are valid opinions because the source evidence does not give enough very clear direction to work out what's going on. There's a very interesting um, 
a really interesting and nice thing which we will, we, we will use as a resource when we come to this, you know, in about 10 years' time. But when we do come to it, which is the traveler's prayer, okay? And that is what happened last year. Uh, I don't know whether it happened last year, but it, it was spread on WhatsApp and Facebook last year. Um, a Saudi post uh, of 10 different scholars that did 10 different things with respect to praying on a journey. So they were all going together, I think, on a plane to a certain location. And all of them, when they met up, did something different in how to pray the dhuhr and the asr that became upon them. So that 10 different positions. For example, there was one that prayed both of them at home. At home. Before they got to the airport. And then you can imagine the majority were praying at the airport. Some prayed full at the airport. Some prayed two-two at the airport. Some combined. Some prayed dhuhr at home and then prayed dhuhr and asr on the plane. Some de- delayed everything and prayed everything on the plane. Some delayed everything and prayed everything when they got there. Yani, so many different opinions. All of them valid based upon their understanding of the text. So what I'm saying is a lot of difference. Now, now just to give you that practical example, I'm staying at my own home in, in Pakistan, meaning that no one else lives there. Okay, and I was there for three days, right? Now that three days is a length of time which covers all of the differences of opinion. Like there's the Shafi'is and the the Malikis, they say four days. The Hanbalis, they said 20 prayers. Over 20 prayers, you've got to pray full. And then the Hanafis, they say longer. So if you're staying three days and you're covered by everyone, meaning everyone is saying you're a traveler, okay? But no one, but they also all say that if you're at home, then you're at home. You're a resident at your own home. Now, you are a resident when you're in your own house, aren't you? Of course you are. However, this house was freezing. I just want to say that. No, don't make excuses. No, no, this way, this way. No, 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 no. This way. We you see how much hate is coming from this right-hand side? 20 years ago. Can you hear all that hate? Okay. I still, <laughs> I'm still using my AC. I still left the door open, yeah. Can you just hear all that hate coming from the right-hand side, yeah? I haven't even finished, and the hate's coming, all right? It was freezing. I had no fridge. I had no hot water. Let me repeat that statement to you twice. I had no hot water. Huh? No, wait, just wait, just wait. Just slow down. That's not wudu, bro. What about washing the rest of your body? Okay? Everyone can do wudu in cold water. Yeah? Alright. Just wait. There was no toilet seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, 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 okay. All right, all right, all right. Just wait. There's no toilet seat. This is my home. All right. People want me to pray full at my home. Yeah. Not been lived in in ten years. So it's yani. There's no spiritual warmth. Forget about the heat warmth. Concrete walls, obviously, but there was like, uh, 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 not rust, what's it called when when it's... uh, Mold, correct, mold, yeah. Cold, mold, this, that, bloody blah, okay, just wait. No kitchen. Come on, Yara. No kitchen. No cooking. I'm eating out of a bag. Yani, whatever's in my bag, which is in my thingy, or what next door and family saying, you're coming here, you're coming here. Tick? What else do you want? What else do you... 
Yani what else? Me and my wife having this full out debate. I gave the iqamah, then we're having this debate. Yeah? Just wait one second. Just one second, you. Okay. Right? Just you one second. That might be the case that I'm describing any holiday to Pakistan, but that's a very racist statement, okay? Going back to Pakistan is a joy and a pleasure. So hold on. I ask you, when you say the word home, what are the parameters that define a home? Tell me, tell me, seriously. Being at ease. Being at ease, isn't it? I was not at ease, bro. When there's no hot water, yeah? And then you get a taste of hot water and it suddenly goes. Oh my God, I forgot. No electricity. Electricity only coming on for a couple of hours, then going off. No, that's not all of Pakistan. This is not 20 years ago. This ain't 20 years ago. We have, people have, people have a UPS. Just wait one second. People have a UPS. Tiga, yeah, which is like this thing which charges when the electric is on, and then when it's off, it, it then switches on one light. That's it. It switches on one light or two, but light. Okay, no light. <laughs> now light, if 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 light is not an essential factor for a home, I don't know what a home is. You need warmth. You need light. You need food, or you need something burning at least anyway. Yeah, okay. You had plenty of wood outside, you had plenty of things outside, you could lit a fire. I could have lit a fire outside, yeah. No, I mean, I, I'm not going to say, wait, wait, wait a minute. Moonlight above you, uh, stars, you only gazing. Allah. What do you want? Stars gazing. <laughs> gazing stars, you yeah. Gazing stars? <laughs> what the heck does that mean? <laughs> what do you know what kind of English that is? Gazing stars? Whatever, you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so, so. In the end, and I'm saying to my missus, I'm saying to her, she's saying, listen. (laughs) She's like, listen, you own this place and that's the only thing that matters. I said, listen to me. I, what did I say? I said, there are hotels that I stay in, right? that are a million times more of a home compared to where I'm staying right now. A hotel. And you would never dream of praying full in that hotel. Meaning it's warm, it's light, you're comfortable, you get what you want, there's food, there's X, there's Y, there's Z. And you always pray in Qasr because you're a proper traveler one night, you know, in the middle of nowhere. And I'm in a place which wouldn't tick any box on any hotel that I stay in and you want me to pray like I'm at home. Anyway, of course, yani, I prayed full, you know, because <laughs> Mrs. Mrs. Always yani, gets her way. So, so she made me pray full prayers when I was there. See, you hate her for nothing. See that? Look at this guy. He just wants to make me pray full all the time. And when he travels, he wants to pray qasr every second. Any possible opportunity to make qasr and combine, he'll do it. But me... He doesn't want me to even taste either qasr or combining was very full day and night. Unbelievable. Anyway, what was the point? How the point was, is that this discussion wouldn't have been a discussion at all if we just stick to what the fuqaha said. Fuqaha say if you're at home, you pray full. Fuqaha say that if you are, you know, 
uh, traveling this much distance, this much days, you're traveling. End of story. They, they just put the parameters down. However, we know that fiqh is not like that. It's a living reality. Okay? And that's why you do find scholars here that say a 50 pence piece in the Hanafi school. All right? The modern day kind of schools, they say a 50 pence piece. If that part of your body becomes uncovered, your aura, then your prayer is invalidated. Okay? And others say, you know, a nail's worth and this and that. And we say the same thing. Thanks to the fuqaha for making it easy or try to make it simple for us. But let's now try and do it from a sunnah point of view and understand exactly what's going on. What is it that we can understand? Well, there's something nice here. Um, what Sheikh Al-Tameen mentions, he says that um, if the sharia does not define something at the, at the, uh, at the, at the bottom of page 170. If the sharia does not define the quantity of something, then it always goes back to the custom of the people, to the urf. Okay? And then he recites a, po- uh, uh, a line of poetry from someone who wrote a poem about usul al-fiqh. He said, وَكُلُّ مَا أَتَى وَلَمْ يُحَدَّدْ بِالشَّرْءِ كَالْحِرْزِ فَبِالْعُرْفِ أُحْدَدْ Okay, which would translate roughly as, okay, and this poem is called Manzuma fi Usul al Fiqh wa Qawaid Fiqiyah, and that's also by the same author, okay. Uh, and uh, what does the translation would come out to? It would say, and everything which is mentioned and has not been specified, so anything which has been mentioned but not been specified in the Sharia, such as Al Hirs then it is defined according to custom. So everything which has been mentioned but has not been specified by the sharia, such as al-hirs, then it is then defined by the custom. What's hirs, by the way? That's something we'll be doing in third year's time. Okay? And that is when we come to the chapter of mu'amalat and specifically when it comes to the crimes and punishments. And hirs is specifically under theft. Now, you know... uh, 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 we're not very sophisticated in our culture when it comes to stealing. Or maybe we are and I'm just not uh, knowledgeable enough of the legal system. Because I do have a feeling that in law, law, proper English civil law, if you study it, the details are there where they do differentiate. Okay, Just like you know that murder is not always murder. Sometimes it's manslaughter, sometimes accidental death. You know what I mean, yeah? So you can hit someone, but it could be any one of the three depending upon, upon according to your intention. Right, so crimes are not so. So stealing is likewise. We use that stealing, but in actual fact, there's a massive in the Sharia. Certainly, you've got like ten different categories or something. There's a difference between pickpocketing, and theft, and stealing, and robbery, and armed robbery, and and I don't know, sophisticated robbery. Robbery. I, like I, I, there's way too many words in the Sharia to have English translations. You just have to keep adding weird kind of first words and then putting robbery at the end of it, yeah? To kind of try and, uh, you know, to make it different. Anyway, just for the sake of what you need to know, a sadaqah, which is the famous kind of theft, okay, for which the hands are cut, is only so if something is stolen, which is in a hirz. And hirz, okay, means a safe place. Meaning that if you left your phone like this, and it got stolen, then according to the majority of fuqaha, I know I'm jumping again to a whole different subject, but it is not stealing. Yani not the ste- it's stealing that has a crime, that has a punishment, but not the one of cutting the hands. Okay? Meaning that it has to be from a safe place. Now, what is a safe place? What is hirs? 
hirz yani in in arabic haraza is um something which is a protected place a protected place which we might describe today as many things but are we allowed to do that yes we are because the sharia has not actually defined what a safe place is so therefore when we give ruling on whether this person's hands are to be cut or not whether it's a serious yani crime or not we first then define whether the place it was stolen from and how it was actually stolen was under the conditions to to then enact the punishment was it taken from a place where the owner was intentionally trying to protect it and keep it out of the way of the people not tempting them making it clear that it's valuable making it clear that it's a no-go area and so that's why for example chain uh, stealing change on a uh, desk has a different punishment to stealing a 20 pound note from a purse or a wallet okay because the purse and the wallet are in what i would suggest to you and we can have that discussion modern day definitions of the hirs it is a safe place which you put in to keep out of the public area and some people said no it needs to go further it needs to be in a safe for example which is completely the classic point that we're covering is that no we reject that because custom our culture does not believe a safe place is a safe for money that's like a place that you put lots and lots of money and it's not yani the normal it's not yani what i mean is that i do not expect my phone to not be stolen unless i put it in a safe that's what i mean and what the culture then agrees upon is what then would define it okay so all of that we mentioned to come and explain this point here as well and is applicable here for the aura as well so the aura is it something which is to be defined according to a faqih according to size or is it what it affects the people no the answer is is the people So therefore immediately what have we learned we've learned that if some of the aura becomes uncovered which is not shocking according to the people then it's not even applicable in this issue and the prayer is not invalidated and the salah is not affected does that does that make sense so what would that be so for example if we've already said that the aura according to the hanbalis is from the uh navel to the knee and we said that it's navel to the thigh okay Or, or the top part of the knee we said that some parts of the thigh it's clear that they don't seem to be part of the aura itself okay let's assume even that we're taking the humbly position from navel to knee then we know that that is aura however we also know that if for example a little bit of the knee became uncovered its shock factor is not the same as if the private parts became uncovered understood So that's the first thing we need to be applying that what becomes uncovered what is its reality So for example if a strand of hair for a woman okay in the prayer became uncovered this is not what we call shocking This is a standard reality not every woman is able to ensure every single time that every single strand of hair or little parts of hair or whatever is covered You get what I'm trying to say and so whereas if you know if you got one of these you know those pack kind of dupatta kind of style behaviors you know when they is like it's like uh, uh i don't know you know what i mean it's like on the back part of the head you know like the huh? convertible. convertible kind of thing is that what it's called convertible no, but but you know what i mean it's like at the back it's like that huh hijab is how it is yeah Okay, that's a good phrase. A hijab. 
Okay, I like that. Hijab. Right? So, that is showing the full head. That's a shocker. That's completely unacceptable. Completely unacceptable. Now, uh, again, again, we come into a little bit of a sensitive area. In Pakistan, for example, our normal covering, that's quite an acceptable part of parda. Okay? That, like, you know, they would consider many women in Pakistan would consider wearing a dupatta showing that part of the hair to be quite normal. And they would actually see a person wearing a normal hijab as being quite ultra-religious. You know, that, that covering part of the head to making sure that there's no kind of hair as ultra-religious. Which of course is not acceptable. So that's an important lesson. That we cannot allow the custom to dictate something which is clearly against a definitive text. Okay? So that's the limits of the culture. Because in this culture, or what's the culture? We had this discussion last week or last, last time, right? That... Uh, uh, is it the culture of the mosque? Or is it the culture of the community outside and society outside? Because if it's the culture outside, then, you know, there is no need to cover or nakedness is something normal. I mean, now, if you remember the discussion that we did have, we said that even when we talk about the culture of the mosque, the culture of the mosque is built upon realities from outside. So if you've got Muslims that come into the mosque, they are dressing in unacceptable ways, which certainly doesn't come from their culture. Like a pack, right? A young pack. His parents wear shalwar kameez, right? So he should be wearing shalwar kameez, all right? If he's going from the culture of his people, of his, of his actual people. But because he's born here and he's part of the fashion industry and, you know, his other mates at school are all a bunch of idiots, okay? So they like to copy them in their clothes. So they don't wear shalwar kameez. They don't even wear trousers. They wear trousers... Which I don't understand why, but they bring it down to their backside and they put a belt on it, which I didn't understand, to be honest. So, you know what I mean, right? I don't know what that's called. What's that called? Shaz, what would you call that when you wear <laughs> That's not wrong at all. That's called revenge. Guys, hey, you got me from the beginning. Oh, honestly. But Shaz happens unintentionally because he carries his massive wallet and sets of keys in his pocket. And I've told him all the time, wear a belt, wear a belt, wear a belt. Why don't you wear a belt, by the way, Shaz? <laughs> don't mess with me, Shaz. Don't mess with me. You know? Dangerous game. You know? <laughs> so, you know, anyway, back in my day, back in my day, we saw, what was it? It was crisscross. Those hip hop kids, they used to wear things like that. That's where it started. I remember seeing that. It's about being in prison. <laughs> Ajib. That they wear to show. Ajib. So then, why would people who are completely anti that? Be wearing it then outside. <laughs> they wouldn't know its meaning. They won't know its origin. So they 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 think it looks good. Ajib, that's that's a whole different take. You see, yours was going down the old, the old queer kind of you know whatever, and then yours is which to be honest makes also equal sense 
because they're not allowed to wear belts, so they're all hanging down, so you look like a gangster or tough kind of guy. Yeah. I'm in prison, I'm hard. <laughs> and outside, outside, whatever. I think it's gone out of fashion now. Right? It's gone out of fashion. I thought it's increased, hasn't it? No. I can't say it's fashion. No, no, the fashion now is that very tight, you know, like those tights, that the patina trousers or jeans. Skinny jeans. Yeah, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, ask that guy, yeah. Skinny jeans guy, he loves skinny jeans. Kick him up the backside, bro. I'm telling you, rip him off, yara. What the heck is that, yara? Skinny jeans. Oh my days, that's disgusting, that is. Skinny jeans. Anyway, we die. Die what? Digress. Digress. I thought I say divulge. I think we did enough divulging, to be honest. Right. So, um,. So what we're talking about is that this thing is subjective and we need to understand that, okay? So that's the first thing, that, to calm the situation down. And I say calm situation down because people do overreact when it comes to the aura and it being uncovered in ways, okay? And we need to be careful that it's not the same, like, to show the back, okay? So a person might have a very high kind of up uh, trousers, for example, and he shows the back, uh, clearly the back. As opposed to, you know, the top of his backside. Okay? As opposed to the top of his backside. Which is obviously what we... When we make jokes about cracks and this and that, whatever. That's disgusting and it's the thing that we see. But that's not the norm. Okay? And we've got to, you know, take it easy. So that's the first thing. It's got to be according to society. The second point is that... it The back being covered... Uncovered, sorry. Uh, it's probably more common than the backside being uncovered. In terms of the, the back, above your back. So, so if you take the navel yeah. and draw a line around, yeah. so you're saying that just underneath that line at the back, yeah. that okay. being uncovered is the common one. Yeah. yeah. And I'm saying that that being uncovered, right? Part like, uh, yeah, part of the aura, because it's technically the aura, yeah. and it's only a small part, yeah. is not the same, for example, as... A significant few inches below, Correct. which is four five inches below yeah. or whatever inches below, to show the backside or the top part of the backside. Yeah. That's that's my point. Yeah. Likewise, for but in both scenarios, the aura is exposed. Both scenarios, the aura is exposed. Yeah. Both scenarios, the aura is exposed. And let's just carry on that now, which is also not the same as if we to consider the, the position of the fuqaha, which is that aura is from uh, uh, up into the knees. So then let's say that the bottom of the thighs and someone's trousers falling down and them seeing the inner thighs. Yes? The inner of the thigh. So what I'm trying to say is that first of all, the aura is relative and that's why we have these phrases uh, the aura which is مغلظة and مخففة and مغلظة means heavy, hardcore aura, yani hard. Right? And مخففة means light or soft. And so for a woman, for example, there's a big difference between, you know, her chest becoming uncovered. And for example, she's wearing very baggy sleeves and then that happens. Yep. So she might make, go, go, make the rafa and this comes down to there. That's a very good example. Okay. This is aura for the woman. Okay. That's important. The arm is aura. So that's the first thing. We need to understand that shock has to be a clearly defined, a, a, a clearly understood 
reality that the majority of people understand that there are certain things that happen uh, uh, that are out of one's kind of control, even though one tries to, uh, you know, avoid it. And it is not visually or whatever, uh, all size-wise shocking. Yeah, I and mean, big time. So, like I said, this would be the constant movement of a sleeve. It would be the appearance of a hair and it might be the back. But when it goes closer and becomes more kind of sensitive, then we're moving to something which the society all agrees upon. And that's something which is unacceptable. Yeah, that's part one. Part two is to understand that the word fahish has two parameters. Or not the word fahish, but in aura, with respect to aura, there are two parameters that you must memorize at all times. The zaman and the qadar. The time of the uncovering, the length of time of the uncovering, and the amount of the uncovering. Okay? And so, therefore, and these must be combined for the prayer to be invalid. For the, for the condition to be cancelled of covering the aura, both of these realities have to be combined. What do I mean? I mean that if there is a small amount of aura which is uncovered for a small amount of time, then it's nothing. It's ignored and it's pardoned. Okay? So, like I said, small bit of hair there, this, that, whatever, whatnot. If it's a small, non-shocking amount, non-shocking amount, which is uncovered for a long period of time, likewise, unless they do it intentionally. And let me just make this statement now, whilst we're, we're here. Any intentional uncovering of the aura invalidates the aura. Any intentional uncovering of the aura. So a woman, for example, she looks at her hijab and she goes, I'll leave the hair like that, or I'll leave my sleeves up, or a man, you know, he puts his shirt up, or whatever, whatnot. That's yani, un- un- unacceptable and is broken. Yani, in conclusion, what do we want to say? That the aura which breaks, or the, 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 the uncovering which breaks the aura and causes the problem in salah, is a large amount for a large time. Large amount for a large time. A large amount for a short time does not break the... Uh, um, doesn't break the aura in the salah. Now, I want to say that's the class position. It's not the humbly position. If you read the text, okay, He does not say that if it's a long time or short time or this or that, according to the obvious statement from this author, he is saying that even if it happens for one second and it's shocking, then it's unacceptable. So let's look at, let's look at some examples, practical examples. Maybe you guys can come up with a few as well. The ones that I see most of the time or that I know of, are uh, someone's trousers falling down, literally. Literally the trousers fall down. Okay, yeah. And the other one is a woman's a hijab or jilbab, the wind comes or the fan and the whole thing goes up and then covers the entire chest. Okay, so by all, by all intents and purposes, that's shocking in both scenarios. Okay, a person could go for sajda and the trousers are so tight that they split right down the middle. <laughs> Yeah, that's happened as well. Okay, right? That's yani, something. Etc, etc, etc. All of these are shocking. However, if the guy or girl immediately takes remedial action, they close this, they cover themselves up, they lift it up, whatever, whatnot, then it doesn't matter how shocking it was 
as Ibn Taymiyyah said, as is the correct opinion, as the Shaykh Uthaymin, as yani, whatever, that is not going to break the prayer. It's not going to break the prayer. This happened yani, outside of the person's control, and that's something which is not... Uh, uh, and Shaykh Uthaymin, he says, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَتَقُوا ma sata'atum In Surah Taghabun, verse 16, he said that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Fear Allah as much as you can. This is something outside of the person's yani, control. It happened, whatever. Now, I just want to make it clear that this is very different. There are, there are some exceptions to this. A person who knows, you know, that they're wearing a particular dress where every time they pray, this happens. And he's had one chance, and then another time it happened again. This is unacceptable. And so therefore we say, no, we cannot have this person continuing. And this person's prayer is not acceptable. That they keep wearing that clothing or that defective yani belt or defective X, Y, Z. A person's got to take some responsibility. Is that clear? Okay. Um, likewise, if a person, he prays the whole prayer, she prays the whole prayer and finishes, then realizes that their whole prayer, basically, the backside was showing. I don't know how that happens, but let's just imagine. Large amount, a shocking amount. Yeah, the whole prayer, a shocking amount, they'd have to repeat the prayer. Okay? They turn around, they look, and they realize that, you know, they're, I don't know, one thing got stuck one way, whatever, whatnot, and it was showing the whole thing. Then they need to repeat the prayer. They need to repeat the prayer. Okay? Now, I'll tell you something interesting. Uh, this is something which is, I found fascinating, in fact, no more than interesting. Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shankizi, he said, that some of the one of the reasons why the scholars said that the the the, awra, the prayer is not broken if the aura is shown, okay, is a very famous hadith, very famous hadith, the hadith of Amr bin Salama, radiyallahu anhu. This hadith is in Bukhari, and this is the hadith of the young boy who led the uh, people in salah and specifically a group of women, who then saw his aura. He was only six or seven years old when this happened. And the women complained and they said, tell your imam, yani tell your qari, the one who's leading us, to cover his backside. Because his backside could be seen completely. And we know that, I, I took, spoke about that last time, okay? That the clothes that they had were one sheet and, you know, very short. And they would go into sajda and it'd be a major problem. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ, he told the women that their worst rows are the front rows. And their best rows are the back rows because there's no barrier between the men and women when they would pray. And so when the men would end, only if this much space effectively before the women are started. So if you're in the back row, and that's why he said that the best rows for the men are the front rows and the worst rows are the ones at the back. And so obviously if you're so close, you get to see all kinds of stuff. And the women were seeing this from men who were poor, who had one thingy and so on. And so they, his prayer was not invalidated. He did not repeat his prayer. The Prophet did not make him repeat his prayer, and that was that. However, what was fascinating, this hadith in Bukhari, okay, what's fascinating is that Imam Ahmed considered this whole narrative to be weak, even though the hadith is in Bukhari. And there's a number of quotes of Imam Ahmed actually that detail his reaction to when people would try to use this hadith. He would get irritated and he would say, this hadith is nothing. This hadith is nothing. 
Now, what's he trying to say? He's not trying to say that Bukhari is nothing and the hadith is nothing. He's trying to say that people trying to use this hadith as some kind of evidence that it's okay to uncover the awrah in prayer, that's yani ridiculous. And that shows the fiqh of Imam Ahmed. Because if you look and study this hadith, and we're not doing that here, but if you look and study the full narrations of this hadith, it has many different versions, okay? Or, which are not different in terms of detail massively, but they add detail, yep? So some are short and some are long. And effectively, what this hadith talks about is a group of companions that came to Islam late and new. So if they come late, then they're new. And they were told to pray, and they had no imams, they were not in Medina, this is in, uh, uh, they were in tribal areas outside, so there were not Muslims there. So this is the hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said, then let the one who leads you be the one who is most versed in the Qur'an. And as Amr bin Salama said, that my father, when he said this, and when this hadith, this, this, this reality, this rule became known, then they all looked around, everyone, all the men, the women, and everyone, who knew the most Qur'an, and it was me. And I was only six or seven years old. So I was the one who was then put forward to lead the prayer. You get what I'm saying? And then he led, he led the prayer like this. Imam Ahmed, and Imam, so many scholars actually said, if you look at the wording of this hadith, you see that all of it is about, yani, in the language of people who are making ishtihad. They were all yani, making a decision on the fly. It was, yani, was as Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar Shakiti says, he says it's not the same. He goes, for example, and I just uh, quote something which I found really, really interesting. Okay, and I'll read it in Arabic, and then you can uh, think. هكذلك أن اجتهادهم رضوان الله عليهم مع حدث عهد بجاهلية لا يؤمن معه وجود الخلل لأن انكشاف العورة المصلي يوجب البطلان بالأصل فكونهم يتركونه يصلي بهم والعورة منكشفة مع إمكان سترها من ناحية الأصول الشرع لا يقتضي الصحة فكأنه يرى أن يعني إمام أحمد أن هذا فعل الصحابي في زمان النبوة لا يستلزم الاحتجاج بمثله فلو كان في المدينة وبمحضر من النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم وإقرار منه لصح الاحتجاج أوكي سو وات إمام what Sheikh Muhammad Mukhtar al-Shaqiti is teaching us yani, from an usul point of view, which I think is very important, is number one, not every single statement that you read from a companion is something which is an evidence, a legal evidence. We know that anyway, that a singular opinion of a companion is not evidence. But what he's also indicating is that even the opinion of a number of companions is not by definition an evidence. You've got to take context and the reality into account. So if something is said by companions when they have just entered into Islam, or they're in an area which is way away from the Muslims and the senior companions, or something happens which is a narrative, but not something which happened in front of the Prophet ﷺ, which he has given confirmation to, then by definition it's not automatically legal evidence. It's just an opinion, or it's just a historical account that happened from companions. I think that's a very important critical approach to have when you're dealing with evidence. Okay, this, uh, and I think as students, you need to know that that not everything that you hear from a companion is like, oh, no, we need to know how old they were, how new they were to Islam, where they were living, who agreed, where was the Prophet, where were the senior companions, was there an ijma'a? These are all questions that need to be asked when a person puts a hadith forward or an athar of a companion, and I think that is a very important lesson. Okay, I think it's a very important lesson, anyway. Okay, so. 
I, th um, I think that we can make uh, four statements as Sheikh Uthameen makes, okay? Because he says, So the summary of this entire situation is number one, that if a person uncovers any part of their aura intentionally, the prayer is invalidated, whether that's a small amount or a large amount, whether that's for a long time or a short time. Is that clear? All right? Make sure these are the things that need to be written or memorized, yeah? So the first one is... That if a person uncovers their aura intentionally, the prayer is invalidated. Whether it's a small amount, large amount, fahish or not, small time, long time, it is absolutely impermissible. Okay? Number one. Number two. If a person... إِذَا كَانَ غَيْرَ عَمْدٍ وَكَانَ يَسِيرًا لَا Okay? If the person did not do it intentionally and it was a small amount, the prayer is not invalidated. The prayer is valid. The prayer is valid. So unintentional, small amount. Okay? If number three, if it was unintentional, but it was a huge amount, a shocking amount. But the time that it was apparent was only small. Okay? Then according to the author, the prayer is invalidated. But the correct opinion and the stronger opinion is that the prayer is still not invalidated. Like we said before. Is that clear? So the third one is that if you unintentionally large amount uncovers, but only a small amount of time, prayer is not invalidated. And fourth, So the aura unintentionally becomes uncovered, huge amount. And the amount of time it's uncovered is huge as well. Alright? Almost, for example, like he doesn't even work it out until right until the end of the prayer. All that, all that time, all that way. Uh, or after he's given the taslim, then his prayer is invalid. Because it is a long time. Prayer is a long time. It is a long time. And I want to say, I want to say that this is only, and this is another example for all of the students who are using even this text. That this is Sheikh Uthaymeen's what I'm trying to say is that a, a, a student also needs to know what does his teacher mean when he makes a statement like that. And if you just read this statement, then just like what Zafar said, it would indicate that Sheikh Uthameen is trying to say that it would be the whole prayer that would need to have been prayed for it to be considered a long time. That's just what we're assuming from what he said. Because a whole raka'ah is a long time. And a number of the fuqaha said a whole raka'ah that would be considered a long time enough for it to be out. And that's what I think as well. So it's not the whole prayer. It's a long time, again, back down to the custom of the people. And the custom of the people is that one raka'ah is a long time. Isn't it? Agreed? If you don't agree, then that's an important part. Yani, if Ten you disagree. Ten seconds is a long time. Ten seconds is a long time. Add ten seconds eight times. Yeah? Yep. In the sense that Take the, take the classic example of the book prayer. Yep. If, if, if it's happening to him, it's gonna have, let's say the Zohar, for example, it happened to him four times. Yep. Sorry, eight times in regular prayer. Yep. Because when it happens in Sensitive. Yep. Yeah, it happened eight times. Yeah. And it's a large amount. A large amount. Yeah, I think that there's a strong argument for this person, okay, if it's continuing, right, and yeah, in a large amount, that this is a, this is a problem. This is a problem. However, we have a difference between a person who's doing it and he knows that it happened in the first rakah 
Yep. And he recognizes it. And he then he tries to fix it. Or someone who recognizes it and then leaves it. Etc. Etc. Yani there's more nuance to it. Okay. Now, also, it's, yani, there's, there's another issue here. And that is, if there's a person who's next to him or behind this person, and he sees this again and again and again, psychologically you're getting murdered here. You know what I'm trying to say? And that psychological abuse, frankly, has got to be kept separate from the actual hukam. Which is that if a person's in, out, in, out, in, out, that's not the same as a technical long period of time of just pure exposure. So, I will continue with what Sheikh Uthameen says to finish off the lesson. He says, so for example, a person prays in trousers or in a sarong, and after he finishes his prayer and he gives salam, okay, uh, oh, okay, and actually, uh, what he didn't realize is that there's a big tear which is showing his backside, okay, or his private parts. But he didn't know that until he gave the salam, taslim. This person's prayer is invalid and he must repeat it because he is someone who is negligent. He is someone who is negligent, okay? Um, he goes, whereas if a person, a pra- he, his I thought that was, I thought he was going to knock himself out there, you know, a heart attack. <laughs> this one, yeah. And, for example, if a person, his thobe splits in half, or tears in half, he goes, then that's, and, but then he tries to, you know, deal with it, then that's not a problem, because this happens quite regularly with thobes that are quite tight, but if he is able to grab it, then his prayer is something which is fine. Even though it was a, a, a large amount, he didn't intend it, and it happened for a short period of time, even though it was a large amount. Okay? So I hope that makes sense. I think that we'll leave the next part till next time. Let's deal with questions. Yeah. So obviously, Sheikh, I mean, just mentioned about a, a song and a rip yep. on the back. Yeah. I think nowadays you see jeans, for example. Yes. Yeah, and the upper part of the jeans, which is often maybe got a rip or a tear in it. Like one does intentional the style. Intentional, yeah. Intentional. Yeah. So that's a not, not that's a small amount. Yeah. It'll be full of throughout the prayer. All right, it might not expose yeah, the hard over. Yeah. It'll definitely expose the soft over. Yeah. Not. Yeah. not it's, 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 it's a good question. So let's talk about a guy who's wearing those ripped jeans. Yep. And he's got a rip on his thigh, upper thigh. Okay. Because, you know, upper thigh, there's, I, mean, I say upper thigh because there's no difference over the upper thigh. Lower thigh, there's a difference of opinion whether that's aura or not. So upper thigh, big rib, okay, and you can see the skin. This is impermissible and it is invalid to pray. Simple as that. This is intentional before the prayer has even started. Yeah. We're going to see something next week, all right, when we talk about an impermissible uh, uh uh, praying in a, uh, uh, a thobe which is haram. What does that mean? What does a haram thobe mean? What does haram clothes mean? Okay? And there's a lot of discussion around that. Okay? And um, is it true that praying in a haram thobe which was haram because you stole it or haram because you bought it with stolen money? And then what's the different categories? There's a difference between buying a thobe with stolen money and that is. Uh, uh, or uh, and both people being aware, or a amount being mentioned for a thobe, and you pay for it with some part of stolen money, etc. There's a difference over that, but also you'll see that, in my opinion, that the prayer is is valid, 
However, if a person was to start off wearing that and you was able to speak to them, you would never, ever, ever say to them that your prayer is valid in this stop. You get what I'm trying to say? There's a clear difference in ruling between before the act and during the act and after the act. Okay? I just want you to just be aware of that fact. So this issue where there's a person who prays. Now, if this person didn't know and he starts his prayer, I didn't know the ruling, we would not make him repeat. Because this level of cut is not a large amount, even though it's covering the aura. And someone says to him, what's this? He goes, what's wrong? And he goes, oh, I never realized. And that could happen. Because cuts and tears are quite a normal part of the prayer, uh, uh, clothes. Yeah? So, uh, take it to the bottom chest because I can't work out what's going on. So someone has said small time or long time. How's that defined? And it's like I said, there is no definition. It's what people think is a long time. And I think that, you know, a large amount for 10 seconds, that's a shocker. I mean, you count to 10. Imagine your trousers fall down right now. Bam. One, two, three, four, five. Bro, five seconds is shocking enough as it is. Ten seconds. You're going to be think this guy is completely, he's, he's dead or, or something. Isn't it? Sah? So I'm saying that long when it comes, a time when it comes to a large amount is something which people can decide and they can make their own judgment call on. Okay? Yeah. Yeah. But how does that relate to the hadith ahad? Is that related to anything? No, uh, not not technically is it related to hadith ahad. Hadith ahad uh, can be from, I mean, the most famous hadith ahad that we have is the hadith of Sayyidina Umar bin Khattab. And of course, his fiqh is solid, his deen is solid, his seniority is solid. Um, he was not young when he became Muslim, he was mature. Uh, his opinions have often corrected the Prophet's own position. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends down uh, verses of Quran to confirm his fiqh decision. So, no, the statement that we mentioned today, which is that not every companion's individual statement or whatever is to be taken just, you know, as a pure evidence without further investigation, because after further investigation, it could be. Yep. That's not the point that we're making that replies to Ahad. Ahad is the way that it was narrated, not the fact that it was a companion who is saying something. When you say Hadith Ahad, we're saying that it was narrated by so few people, by so few chains, that a person might, incorrectly I may add, might have doubt about whether this action should be applied or not. No, it is from our belief at Ahl Sunnah that if an action is authentic from the Prophet ﷺ, via even an Ahad chain, a singular chain of only two, three, singular of course does not mean one when in Hadith sciences, it means two or three as well, then that's something which is acceptable and must be accepted. So no, it's a different thing altogether. Could you explain, is that the bottom, Ibn Muhammad, is that the bottom one? That's the first question, okay. Could you explain that the aura that was mentioned in hadith in which the woman complained about seeing the men's aura and as such, is an, uh, and such they were told to wait a while before standing up? Yeah, it was the private parts. That, yani, underwear, underwear, okay, is not, yani, next week we'll be talking about al-ithar and dithar, yani, but I want to say that underwear was not a reality. 
I don't even know historically when underwear came into into play. Anyone know? Which Victorian or Middle Ages or Greco-Roman? I don't think under. I think underwear is a modern invention, by the way. Yeah, probably a couple of hundred years. Couple of hundred years, yeah. yeah? Not like a couple of thousand, right? I'm sure there's manuscripts on clothing. Probably. No clothing, but underwear. They were in the yeah, no, good. That's what we want. We want people to look into it. You're saying Islamically, did you say? If there were, they would have mentioned. Yeah. Which is the terms will be there. Yeah. As far as I know, we don't have. We have, as I said, we have phrases called dithar and ithar which refer to clothes which touch the surface of the skin and that, that, that which doesn't. So we have a definition for what's called an undergarment. And we have a definition for which is an overgarment. Yeah? So we have that. What I'm trying to say is that do we have the custom of underwear, specific items that come under the clothes, not for warmth or for wealth, but to cover the private parts. That's what I'd be interested in finding out. A lot of Islamic cultures, you'll find that, like, like in southern in southern Egypt in particular, they'll wear full trousers and full full sleeves underneath the clothes, and that's very traditional. Yeah, but but that, but that's my point. That's how, what. The, how far back? No, no, no. Wait, but this is exactly what I'm trying to differentiate. I'm I'm not saying that, because uh, uh, certainly Muslim culture has that from the very beginning, to have clothes under clothes, layers exactly. And Islamically, we have phrases which differentiate between the phrases. That's why we have such a big debate over the word jilbab. You see, jilbab, why is it that not all the scholars obligated the, the jilbab that we know Islamic jilbab to be, which is this overthrow? Yep. Because some said that there is no evidence to indicate that it is an extra garment, whereas the op- opposite side said no that, that's the exact wrong thing to say. Jilbab, by linguistic definition, means that which goes over clothes. So there was always an understanding there was layers. And the closest that I have found that relates to underwear is undergarments, i.e. clothes which touch the skin, underneath other clothes. So what you're describing is exactly what even our culture also has. So what I'm talking about now is bras, is pants. Traditional underwear. How far does that go back? What did you find of mine? 19th century. SubhanAllah. So he's right then. Islam's right. A couple hundred years. That's interesting. That's interesting, SubhanAllah. Because when you think of like, you know, clothes which look like underwear, like, you know, Roman kind of toga stuff and all that, whatever, it's actually not underwear, is it? That's actually the clothes. Right? No? Yes. Isn't it? I don't think Romans were togas. Uh, What's a toga again? I just said that just because I thought that like was a the, phrase. Like, like the ihram almost is what you mean. Over one shoulder, etc. That, that was their ceremonial. It wasn't really. It wasn't a normal clothes. What they wore was, was more normal. <laughs> normal. <laughs> no, they, they, yeah, they, yeah. Didn't, they didn't leave like the shoulder uncovered all the time. Uh-huh. Okay. Regarding taking immediate action on something that is shocking, that has been exposed unintentionally. For an example, for example, a child pulls the hijab entirely off, 
or steps on you and a large part of the body is exposed, such as an elasticated skirt. Does the amount of movement needed to recover the situation matter? No, it doesn't. It's a really good question, that. So a few seconds to deal with it is completely acceptable. Okay? A few steps needed, a few remedial measures, grab something. That's completely acceptable. Okay? Uh, are we yet to cover the exceptions of awra in salah, such as when in hospital and in a bandage or sling? So part of the leg or arm will stay exposed due to short hospital garments. No, let's do that now. So, um, so, so what, what could the questions be from that? A sling is covered anyway, so I don't know what the issue there is. Uh, so, so just give me some examples. A dressing gown, the hospital one, which is open from the back. No, I'm saying that if you have some option to cover anything that you thought would be open, yep. then if you're not taking that option, then it's intentional. Uh-huh. Good. What I'm saying is that if, for example, you're wearing clothes or you're in that kind of state where the clothes do not cover yourself and you know that, then you need to then make sure from the beginning to put on extra. That's unacceptable. Now, if you are unable to, that's something else. And we're going to be covering that later in this chapter. If you are unable to because you're weak or so ill or whatever, or you don't have the clothes, then that's something completely different. We'll be covering that later. Okay? Um, regarding the hadith, did the Prophet ﷺ not tell the boy to repeat his prayer because he was young? And that's a good point. The hadith of Amr ibn Salam, and some said that he's young, he didn't have awra anyway. Some said that he didn't need to repeat the prayer because he wasn't mukallaf in the first place. So there is a lot of discussion about this. But thankfully, there is no difference of opinion on this issue, that we, what we just said. That if a lot of the aura is not shown for a long period of time, then you know, it's, not a, it's not a discussion anyway. Uh, Mesa says that regarding the use of hadith of Amr ibn Salama um, as evidence that the uncovering of the aura... Oh yeah, that's the same point, yeah. Is the prayer still invalidated if a person's aura was exposed, which was shocking and also a long duration, but he never realized even after they finished the prayer? What if this is the norm for them and they never found out? This is a good question. Now, the first part, Sheikh Al-Thamin has already answered. He said, yes, you must repeat the prayer. Even if you didn't know about it, finishes the prayer, finds out, he has to repeat the prayer. But the second one is a good one. What if he's been doing that for all his life, like for example, or you know, for like, oh yeah, wearing a dress that he never ever realized? Yeah? Or something, okay? Um, now, this is different. And in my opinion, the person has not repeated the prayer because he didn't know. And the time of the prayer is gone, okay? And we spoke about that in the issue of the prayer and, and making up the prayer, that there's a, there's a natural time for making up a prayer. Once a prayer has gone out of its natural time, like a week later, two weeks later, it's gone, gone. Now that's it, okay? Anything else at the bottom there? Yep, 13th century, very good. And it seems to be underwear rather than underpants, yeah? Yeah? What is the purpose? Where's trousers and gangs to start? What's that? I don't know what the, the what if a person on purpose wears trousers which are gangster style or very loose and he knows the jeans lower during the prayer but he is convinced his pants are always covering his aura so there are two layers here is there two layers the underpants the, the underpants uh-huh, underpants what is the hukam in this case the hukam is this guy is a bisharam 
He is bewakuf, besharam. He's every Urdu word that I have enjoyed over the last two weeks. Yep. He is bewakuf, besharam, behayai. How do you say? Huh? But, but his prayer is valid. His prayer is valid. But he's besharam. <laughs> because besharam does not mean that a prayer is invalid, is it? It's, it, um, what, what, what did we say? He did not take the zina in the kulli masjid. He did not listen to the command of Allah. He dressed yani, in a shameful way. He copied the disbelievers in a way which is not even positive, but shameful and shocking. Yeah? So it's a disgrace. He's a disgrace. But the question is clear. Does the person need to pray again? No. Is this person's prayer worth much? No. But is the prayer valid? The prayer is valid. Because if there's no aura seen and this big white underpant yeah, and it covers the area, that's it. Because we're talking about a technical reality here. And we've, what, what have we covered already in this chapter? That it's permissible to pray in a thaw. But it is recommended to pray in two garments. Meaning, the more layers that you wear, the more the better, the more the coverage, the more, the more, the more. Alright, questions in the class? Anyone? Anything? We done? We've covered the subject completely? What about a small amount for a long time? A small amount for a long time, yeah, and if it's not fahish, then we will effectively say we will not tell this guy the prayer is invalid but we will say to him make sure he doesn't do it again yeah and Allah knows best yes uh-huh. it's, it's like, the, uh, like a, a big rip in the jeans yep. there's a thin layer of like the um, like thin clothing underneath like, it yeah like so there's a big rip in the jean but underneath there is some cloth you can the, yeah, the, yeah. But it's almost see-through, kind of. What's underneath? Yeah. Um, I mean, if it's see-through, then it's like it's not there. But if it's yeah, it's some kind of cloth, which, which, you know, if it's a cloth underneath the jeans, which does not show the skin, then the prayer is valid. But if it's so thin that you can see the skin completely, then that's the same like as if the top part wasn't even there. The bottom part is like it's not there either. Yeah, because we said that in the first lesson that aura has to be covered by something that does not describe the nature of the skin. And if you can see the skin, its color, its type, its whatever, then the aura is not covered. Yes. Okay. Oh, I almost forgot. Yeah, this weekend, of course, Sheikh Yasser Qadi is here in Manchester. Okay. So everyone who is local or uh, or even in the north, as I said, it's not going to be taught in any other class. That's why the guys from Birmingham are coming. Sheikh Ahsan Hanif will be here this weekend. I will be attending as well. And uh, it starts on Friday. Um, and it's at the British Muslim Heritage Center. It starts at 7 o'clock on Friday. The first the, the, the session, I think, is... A, a, I've been to the Friday session uh, in London. And uh, it's good uh, from a... Especially from the people point of view from Sufi, uh, Salafi, Ash'ari kind of uh, issues, then that first session is about that. 
okay? And then the rest of the weekend goes into the real issues um, that are the modern doubts of that happen all the time now, to be honest. All kinds of people now following all kinds of isms and bakwas. Uh, the, the key thing for you guys is to know that the price increases significantly tomorrow. So the cheap price is until midnight tonight. Okay, so go to almaghrib.org slash Manchester. almaghrib.org slash Manchester and just follow the enroll now. And um, I'll see you guys this weekend. Bi'idhnillahi ta'ala wa jazakumullah khair. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.